Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes, In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 51 is entitled, Introduction to the Letters of John to the Seven Churches. Is there any book in Holy Scriptures more talked about than the book of Revelation? Is there any book that has more disturbing images than the book of Revelation? And is there any book more puzzling than the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is unique in many ways. For one thing, the scope of the book is amazing. It speaks of the pre-mortal existence of mankind and of the war in heaven. It speaks of the 7,000 years of the earth's existence. It speaks of the second coming of Christ, of Armageddon, of the millennium, of Gog and Magog, and end time, of the final judgment, and of the New Jerusalem. It speaks of death and of hell and of the resurrection. In addition, the imagery of the book of Revelation is stunning, leaving Christians to ponder endlessly on the number 666 and the images of the beasts and the angels, the seven seals, and the plagues, and so on. But those are not the most important parts of the book. Any complete work has three parts, a beginning, a middle, and an end. The most emphatic position is always the end. The next is the beginning, and the least emphatic position is the middle. The most important parts of the book of Revelation are found in chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 19 through 22, as I hope to prove. As we know from all the writings of John, he was a master at his craft. Of course, being an apostle of Jesus Christ and a prophet, seer, and revelator, receiving direct revelation from God comes in handy. In writing about the letters to the seven churches, I want to prove that the key to the book of Revelation is found in the seven letters, which are recorded in the first three chapters and repeated in the last four chapters. First of all, there can be no question about the central focus of the book of Revelation. The first chapter begins with Christ, and the last chapter ends with a call to come unto Christ. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17. The book of Revelation is addressed to seven churches, the number seven being of great importance to the Hebrews, meaning whole or complete or holiness. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1, 4-5 It is Christ himself who dictates the letters. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Revelations 1, 10-11 The seven letters can be read as one letter to the Church of Christ, each letter containing a different attribute of Christ and a different promise to those who overcome the world and endure to the end. 
The seven letters are an introduction to our understanding of the book of Revelation, and it was intended that the entire book of Revelation be attached to the letters. Each letter is a mere cover letter explaining a portion of the entire book and a means of interpreting the book. John sent all letters and all 22 chapters to all seven churches, symbolizing the fact that the book of Revelation is intended for every member of the Church of Christ. Actually, the book of Revelation was originally one long poem and sent to the seven churches. In the final chapter of Revelation, the Savior said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Revelation 22:16. While reading the book of Revelation, we should always have in mind the letters to the seven churches. If we do, some of our perceptions about the book of Revelation may change, as I hope to prove in this series of podcasts on the seven letters. Translators added chapters and verses and punctuation and other constructions to make it conform to modern language. Hebrew poetry was organized through different forms of parallelism. Each church is represented by a candlestick and protected by an angel. In chapter 1, we are told that the seven churches are protected in the palm of the hand of Christ. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Revelation one twenty. Chapter 1 of the book of Revelation gives one of the best descriptions of the resurrected Lord found anywhere. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength, and when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. Revelation one thirteen through 17 It is revealing to compare the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 1 with the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. The first description refers specifically to the church of the first century A.D., and the second description refers specifically to the church at the time of the second coming, or the millennial Christ. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation nineteen eleven through 16 When Christ appeared to John the first time, he was alone. 
a vision of peace. In the second appearance, he was followed by an army ready to make war. Let's start by making a line-by-line comparison of the resurrected Lord as he appeared in the first century A.D. and as he will appear in the beginning of the millennium. First century, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Millennium, his eyes were as a flame of fire. The images are exactly the same. First century, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Millennium, on his head were many crowns. The images are significantly different. In the first image, his head is uncovered and he wears no symbol of authority. In the millennial image, he is wearing many crowns, meaning that he is returning with great power and authority and will rule over many nations. First century, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Millennium, clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Again, the images are frighteningly different. In the first image, he is benign. The golden girdle suggests royalty. In the millennial image, however, his vesture is dipped in blood, meaning that he comes in time of war and vengeance. Everything he promised in the seven letters is about to come to pass. First century, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Millennium, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. In both images, the sword is sharp. In both images, the sword comes out of his mouth, meaning that for Christians, the word of God should only be preached with the tongue and never with the sword. The only weapon a Christian should use is testimony and love. In the first, it is a two-edged sword. In the second image, it has only one edge. There is a good reason for that. In the first place, the two-edged sword is only for members of his church. Look again at the image. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That is a spectacular image because by holding the seven stars in his right hand, he is protecting the saints. Christ explained the image of the stars. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Revelation 1.20 The two-edged sword coming out of his mouth reminds the churches that the sword that protects them can also destroy them. And that is really what the letters to the seven churches is all about. The sword is coming out of his mouth, not held in his hand, because it is the sharp word of God, or in other words, the commandments of God. Each of the letters contain a blessing if they repent, and endure to the end, and a curse if they don't. One edge of the sword is the blessings for those who repent. The other edge of the sword, however, is the curse if they don't repent. That is the sword with the two edges. The sharpness represents the power of his word. The sword has two edges because he is warning his followers that they cannot trifle with his word. In the final battle, the sword will either protect the saints for their obedience or destroy the saints for their disobedience. In each of the letters, he gives an amazing promise. However, in most of the letters, he follows that promise with a fierce condemnation and a curse if they don't repent of their sins. The first image of Christ is benign. His head is uncovered. His face shines like the sun. 
His garments are peaceful, and he appears in all of his resurrected glory. In the millennial image, however, his presence is not benign. His sword has only one edge, and with it he smites the nations. In other words, the sword is turned against the wicked, not against the fable saints. The wicked will be destroyed at his coming. The war of the saints is fought only with testimony. The wars among the wicked are fought with real swords. We learn that the physical wars will be the wicked fighting the wicked, fulfilling the prophecy. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. His many crowns represent Christ's new role as king of all nations. He does not come as a sacrificial lamb. His vesture is dipped in blood, and he comes in great power and authority. The righteous have no need to fear, but for the wicked, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The figure of Christ dominates the book of Revelation, suggesting that we must make him our focus. It is Christ, of course, and not John who is speaking. John is merely the scribe, Jesus said. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation 1.19 But we cannot overlook verse 16 of chapter 22, which gives one of the great titles of Christ that is sung so beautifully in Handel's Messiah. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To understand those new titles, again we must go back 2,000 years to the first century church. In the first three chapters, Christ refers to himself by the following titles. 1. Jesus Christ. 2. The Faithful Witness. 3. The First Begotten of the Dead. 4. The Prince of the Kings of the Earth. 5. Him That Loved Us. 6. Him That Washed Us From Our Sins in His Own Blood. 7. Son of Man. 8. Son of God. Why is he now referring to himself as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The answer is very exciting, and the explanation is included in the letters to the seven churches. In one of the promises Christ made to the seven churches, he said, To him will I give power over the nations. In other words, to him that overcometh will Christ make rulers over nations meaning they will be kings and lords. This is confirmed in the book of Revelation as early as chapter 5. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9-10 Now, in the millennium, when Christ comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, we know exactly what he means. Those who overcome and endure to the end will be placed as rulers over the nations, and they will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, the earth will be a theocracy, and they will rule the nations in righteousness. The faithful saints will become kings and lords, and Christ will reign among them as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we are told at the end of the book of Revelation, the righteous saints will dwell with Christ in the house of the Lord forever. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21, 1-7 What the letters to the seven churches say to me is that the book of Revelation is one of tremendous hope and astonishing blessings. To those who are faithful and true, they are in the palm of Christ's hands. To those who are not, it is a call to repentance. It is as a light in the lighthouse overlooking stormy seas, showing the path to a safe harbor. Remember what Christ said at the end of the book of Revelation? And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.